Good morning, everyone. It is good to, uh, to be back with you again this morning. Thank you for the invitation to come, uh, both last night, as Keith was mentioning, when we watched the Tortured for Christ film, uh, and this morning. If you weren't able, for whatever reason, to get along tomorrow night, um, the film is now belongs to you as a church, so I, I've left it here. So uh, if you want to borrow it at any time or to watch it in, in small groups or whatever, uh, it is available here at, uh, at church. But we're going to look at that passage uh, that was read to us from... Uh, 2 Timothy this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, as it helps us to think a little bit more about issues of of persecution, what it means to serve uh, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Alimjan Yimit. Some of you may know his story uh, over a number of years. Uh, He's currently serving a 15-year sentence in a Chinese labor camp for his gospel ministry. For more than two years, his wife was not even allowed to visit him or have contact with him. She recalled how their young son would pray each night that God would bring his daddy home. How do you think uh, a Christian like Alim would want a Christian like you to respond to his situation? This is Ebrahim Firuzi from Iran. He's currently serving a five-year prison sentence for disturbing the national security of Iran, which means for organizing Christian meetings. He's no stranger to prison. He's previously served prison terms for his evangelistic work, even for setting up a Christian website. You can read more about Ibrahim in our current magazine. How do you think a Christian like Ibrahim would want a Christian like you to respond to his situation? Indeed, how would Christians who are persecuted for their faith in whatever way and in whatever place want Christians like you to respond? How should we? How should we respond to the realities of persecution? That's a very real question, one that can't be avoided, really. It's a question for for every Christian, whether we are those who are actually living in the midst of oppression and persecution, or whether we're looking on, as it were, from a distance, as those who live with comparative freedom to express our faith and to live it out as is the case for us here in the UK. Well, the reality of persecution is very much part of the backdrop to our Bible reading that we heard this morning. 2 Timothy is probably the last letter of the Apostle Paul. Paul writes uh, to his friend Timothy, a young pastor, and he writes from prison. It's not the first time Paul has been in prison during his life, but it's possibly the last. As is clear from later on in the letter, he is expecting to be executed in the near future. And there's a sense in which the whole of this letter almost has something of a, what we would say today, a last will and testament, if you like, from the Apostle Paul. 
And it's a letter that is written very much to encourage gospel work. It's almost as if Paul is looking into the future when he will no longer be around. And he seeks to encourage gospel ministry, gospel service. So throughout this letter, if we were to read it, it's just four chapters, we find uh, Paul urging Timothy to guard the gospel. We heard some of that in the reading, to preserve the gospel. Later on, to preach the gospel. In other words, we might sum up all of those verbs by saying simply to serve the gospel. He urges Timothy to serve the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we heard at the beginning of that reading, Paul begins, as he often does, with with his letters, whether he's writing to a church or, in this case, to an individual. He begins by expressing his thanks to God for, for Timothy's faith. He knows he has a real faith in Christ. And then we hear him urging Timothy to, and the phrase he uses, to fan into flame the gift of God. And the idea of fanning something into flame, it it implies exertion, doesn't it? It implies effort on our part. Timothy is encouraged to actively seek to serve God. But notice at the same time, he is to do so with all the gifts that God has given. Fan into flame the gift of God which is through you, Uh, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And I guess that's, that's one of the mysteries, one of the joys, isn't it, of the Christian life. We are to strive for God, to seek to serve him, to work for him and his kingdom. We are to strive for God, but we do so in and with and by his strength, by the grace that he gives us as his people. But what does it mean? What does it mean to serve the gospel? And in particular, what does it mean to serve the gospel in the face of persecution, in the face of opposition? And I want to suggest to you from these verses this morning just two principles that, that we can perhaps hang on to. Service of the gospel firstly brings with it a willingness to suffer for the gospel. Verse 8, Paul goes on, Therefore, do not be ashamed about the t- of the testimony about our Lord, the message about Jesus. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Why might Timothy have been ashamed that his friend was in prison? But share in suffering for the gospel. Notice again, by the power of God. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In other words, Paul reminds Timothy that faithful service of the gospel may very well lead to suffering in some way, shape or form. Now, the interesting thing is, I think, about this is that I'm sure Timothy knew that. Timothy had been with Paul over a number of years. I'm sure in one sense Timothy had seen far more suffering for the gospel than we have. 
He'd perhaps seen Paul previously in prison or Paul beaten or whatever and others. But Paul evidently believes that Timothy needs reminding of these principles. And if Timothy needed reminding, given all that he had seen, then I suspect we do too. We need reminding of this principle that to serve the gospel uh, brings with it a willingness to suffer for the gospel. We need reminding, particularly perhaps here in, in the UK, in the West, we need reminding that the gospel, and you know the word gospel means good news, and we believe that we have the most wonderful news, don't we, for the world? But we need reminding that the gospel challenges people at the very depth of their being. In fact, more than that, we might go so far as to say that the gospel offends human nature. It offends the sinful human pride and selfishness, doesn't it? Because the gospel calls people, the gospel calls every single person to acknowledge their need for a saviour who puts us right with God. And the gospel calls us to give up serving this person, to give up serving ourselves and to follow that saviour as the Lord and King of our lives. And that's challenging, isn't it? That is offensive, in a sense, to human sinfulness and selfishness. I wonder if any of you have ever been perhaps ridiculed for your faith, laughed at, sneered at, poo-pooed, as we might say. Maybe friends, maybe neighbours, maybe people at work. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You see, Paul always maintained an eternal perspective. Do you notice what he, how he described the gospel in verses uh, 9 and 10? He talks about the grace that God has given us, the grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now we know there was a moment in time when God sent forth his son and Jesus died on the cross, but we know that that was planned from all eternity. God had a plan and a purpose to reconcile you to himself. That plan, says Paul, verse 10, it's now been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who abolished, isn't this wonderful, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. That's the gospel, isn't it, that we know. And Paul has this eternal perspective, and that enables him, I guess, to see suffering in a different light. The gospel is God's eternal plan and purpose. And yet Paul can say in the next breath, verse 12, that's why, this gospel, that's why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, he says, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day, the day that Christ returns. He's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Serving the gospel may very well bring with it suffering for the gospel. At whatever level, if it's just the level of ridicule, insults, 
right through uh, to extreme suffering for Christ. Serving the gospel brings with it uh, the challenge to be willing uh, to suffer for that gospel. These uh, three guys, three characters I met on a trip to northern India last year with release. Sometime earlier, they had gone through an awful experience. They had been beaten up by a group of masked Hindus when they tried to show an evangelistic film in an Indian village, a Hindu-dominated village. They'd been asked to leave. They actually complied. They said, yes, okay, we'll leave. But even so, they were attacked as they were preparing to leave. One of them said to me, they told us they would kill us. Fortunately, somebody got away and alerted the police. They were beaten up, but obviously are still alive today. But another of them said this to me. He said, we weren't angry. By the grace of God, we had peace in our minds. We are happy to get an opportunity to share in what Jesus suffered for us. Testimonies like that, and it's not the first time I've heard any persecuted Christians say that, testimonies like that, how do we receive them when somebody says it's an honour to suffer for, for Christ? Well, it can inspire us. may leave us wondering... How would I respond in similar situations? What would I do? Moreover, what would I want other Christians to do? Which is the question or questions I I began with. What would we want other Christians to do if we'd been through uh, circumstances and experiences like that? Which brings us to the second principle. Uh, that I think emerges in this chapter for us. That serving the gospel also brings with it a willingness to care for the sufferers. To care for one another, if you like, in the body of Christ. As I've said already, Paul's prime concern in this letter, as he writes from prison to Pastor Timothy, his prime concern is the future of the gospel. And during the course of this letter, uh, Paul finds it necessary to address, if you like, two prime dangers to that gospel. He touches on them more than once in the course of this letter. Firstly, false teaching from within the church. And secondly, persecution from outside the church. And there's a sense in which, as we look back through 2,000 years of of church history, those have always been the two greatest threats to biblical Christianity, to the gospel. False teaching from within, opposition from without. False teaching from within needs to be met head-on, doesn't it, with true teaching, with a robust defence of the faith. And Paul calls Timothy to guard and defend the gospel. Persecution needs to be met with faithful gospel witness. But also with compassionate, loving care from within the body of Christ. And that itself can be a a tremendous witness to the world. 
see these Christians, how they love one another, was actually a a phrase, it was a bit of a sarcastic kind of jibe uh, in the early years of, of the Christian church among the Roman Empire. Imagine that. Imagine making, making fun out of something that's actually a virtue. You know, see these Christians, how they love one another. In other words, they, they actually care for one another. Can you imagine that? It's how the, the Romans seem to be uh, making fun of it. But it is something that, that should be seen, isn't it? The world should see that Christians have a love for one another and a care and a compassion for one another that is grounded in the fact that we are part of the one body of Christ. Paul says in verse 15, You're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, we know nothing of these two characters, really. We don't, we don't know, we're not told the reason why they turned their backs on the Apostle Paul. Perhaps they were ashamed that he'd been arrested and imprisoned. But the point is, their story, or, or reference to them in verse 15, actually now provides, if you like, a contrast to what follows, which is what Paul really wants to go on and say. And that is uh, in verse 16. He says, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. And then Paul says this, For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Just think about that for a moment. This is the Apostle Paul. Here we have in verse 16... We're introduced to one of the most obscure New Testament characters. In fact, most of us, when we're reading uh, this chapter, and my apologies to... Is it, was it Jane who, who did the reading? Most of us, if we're honest, when we read this chapter, are not even sure how to pronounce his name. I say Onesiphorus, but, you know... If you say different, that's fine. We don't even know how to pronounce his name. He's one of the most obscure characters that we come across in the course of the New Testament, and yet none other than the Apostle Paul can say of him, he refreshed me. What an epitaph. Imagine having that written on your gravestone. He or she refreshed the Apostle Paul. And it wouldn't have been easy for him. We need to realise this. If we find ourselves in a situation today where where we we know somebody who's in prison, and we might go and visit them for whatever reason, or we're perhaps part of a prison uh, visiting ministry, you know, wherever there's a prison... Uh, where I used to live in Chelmsford, there's a, there's a prison there, you know, you can drive up the road, there are signs, you know, hey, Her Majesty's Prison, Chelmsford, there's a system for getting in and so on, you check in and so on. You know, it's fairly easy to find the place. In Paul's day, in, in Rome and elsewhere, people like Paul might have been kept in, in, in little sort of dungeons below ground. Wouldn't have been easy to find where he was, where he was being kept. You could ask around, but I guess that would be dangerous. Does anybody know where Paul of Tarsus is being imprisoned? Why do you want to know? It would have been actually quite risky for Onesiphorus to do a bit of searching around. There would have been real dangers. Notice that Paul says, verse 17, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly. It was a real effort for him. 
to find where Paul is. He searched for me earnestly and found me. If Paul was in some out-of-the-way, below-ground kind of little dungeon, can you just imagine for a moment, put yourself in in Paul's sandals, (laughs) imagine how Paul would have felt when the door opened. And instead of yet another Roman guard, in comes a familiar, smiling face. A Christian brother. No wonder Paul says, he refreshed me. And Release International's ministry today, if I can put it in these terms, is to provide support the work of the Onesiphoruses, if that's the plural of Onesiphorus, to support the work of the Onesiphoruses today. To those who seek to refresh, to use Paul's word, persecuted Christians today. So in our current magazine, there's a picture of this man on the right, uh, Wazim. He's one of our partners through whom we work uh, in Nigeria, in uh, Pakistan. And that picture tells you all you need to know, really. Ministering to a pastor who has suffered. A pastor who'd been falsely accused in order to, to degrade his name, if you like. But that work, the work of, of Wazim and, and the countless other, well, not countless, they can be counted, but the numerous other partners through whom we work in various countries around the world, that work needs supporting it needs the support of the body of Christ. So what does that mean in practice? Well, we can't all go. We can't all go as Onesiphorus went to Rome. But there are many ways in which we can support the work of those who do. Whether it's ministering to Christians who are in prison, ministering to those who have faced oppression in some way, shape or form, those who have faced violence, like those uh, pastors in India, whether it's ministering to the families of a Christian who's been martyred, or whether it's those who've been forced to flee uh, and leave everything behind in the face of violence. So in what ways can we support that work, that work of refreshing the suffering parts of the body of Christ? Well, you know, whenever you get the opportunity to meet Christians who face real persecution. Do you know what the first thing they always ask for is? It's prayer. It's not money, it's not a handout, it's not whatever. The first thing they always ask for is that Christians in the UK uh, would pray for them. And that is why we encourage people to receive our magazine. And you've heard me say this previously when I've been here. We encourage people to receive what is, after all, a free magazine that comes out just four times a year. We encourage people to sign up and receive it because it will inform you of what is happening to the body of Christ and it will resource you to pray for them. Now, I know there are many here 
who receive it and have done so for a number of years. You've perhaps signed up when I've been here in the past. But if you don't, and you know whether you do or not, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you don't currently receive that magazine, do so today. Sign up to receive it today. There's a little, a little card on, on the table here. You just have to put your postal details and we'll send it to you for free. And you'll be informed and resourced to pray. But as well as praying, of course, we can give. We can give to, to, to these various ministries that release supports uh, around the world. And it is the giving of UK Christians and Christian churches that enables release to do that work. That work of caring, encouraging, resourcing of persecuted Christians today. Now, of course, this church, you know, I've, I've visited here numerous, several times over the years, uh, and this church has been a faithful supporter uh, of Release International over a number of years. And we're extremely thankful. We're extremely thankful for your fellowship with us and the way that you've supported this work, and I hope that you would want to continue to do so as a church. But it may be that some of you as individuals might think, well, yes, actually, I, w- I would like to support release as an individual, even if it's just a small sum monthly or, or whatever. You can do that as well. That's entirely uh, down to you and, and your thinking whether that's something that you felt was right. And again, there, there are ways in which you can do that. But beyond the obvious of, of, of praying and, and giving... Um, you can write cards and letters of encouragement. It won't be many more weeks, will it, before we all start thinking about our Christmas cards? Has anybody bought any Christmas cards yet? Yeah, actually, we did buy, buy some from a charity shop last week. I haven't started writing them yet, but, you know, it's getting to that time of the year, isn't it? Um, what about writing a card or a letter of encouragement to a persecuted Christian? Somebody who's in prison or maybe to their family. You might even say, well, let's, let's, let's make an activity of it as a group of us. You know, we could get together on a, on a Wednesday morning, have a cup of coffee, piece of cake, and write some cards to persecuted Christians. And God can use that simple little act of service. And we have, an, we have testimonies over the years of how Christians have been encouraged by that. Let me just give you one of them. This man's name is Yuri, Yuri Pak. He comes from uh, Kazakhstan, one of those countries in Central Asia. He's a school teacher and a church leader and pastor. A few years ago, uh, he was imprisoned for his faith, for his gospel ministry. While he was in prison, release supporters sent cards and letters which either went to him uh, or to his family to encourage them. He's, He's since been released. This is what his wife Olga said, referring to those cards and letters. She said, our family is extremely grateful to each one of you. You helped us to go through this difficult trial without losing our faith and courage. We believe that your labour is not in vain before the Lord. Writing a card, that's actually not very laborious, is it? It's not much labour. We believe your labour is not in vain before the Lord. That's how appreciative somebody was just to receive a card, maybe with a Bible verse in it, an encouragement that there are Christians praying for them who know what they're going through for the gospel. Could you do that? Could you write some cards, maybe? 
Another way that, that I don't know if there's any, any of you here who occasionally preach, speak, or teach the Bible, maybe in this church, or maybe you go to other smaller churches around and about. If any of you are involved in, 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 a, in Bible teaching at whatever level, could you speak in, in churches or in, in perhaps midweek groups? We have a, a, a training course for those who are willing to speak occasionally for Elise International. If you think that might be you, do have a word with me over coffee or perhaps uh, over lunch. In the next chapter, beyond the one that we were focusing on, Paul says, verse 8 of chapter 2, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. God's people are to serve God's gospel. That may mean Suffering for that gospel in some way, shape or form. It certainly means caring for those who suffer. Onesiphorus, searched for, found and refreshed. The suffering gospel servant. What about you?